Good evening. How are you? It is Tuesday night, January 24th, 2023. My name is John Schenk. I'm the host of the Deerwood Realty live stream that you're watching right now. It's actually a show. I can't really call it a live stream because nobody ever comes on to talk. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Anyway, uh, got a good show tonight. We're going to go over a bunch of things. We're going to go over... Um, what's going on with brokerages right now as far as cutting costs, which is always a fun thing to me because um, when we had the, the expansion that we had, brokers were doing anything to recruit talent. And now that the, uh, the margins are, are getting compacted, they have to do something. And so they're making all these cuts. So all these things you were promised as a real estate agent at, this, at these companies, you now don't have. And now you're stuck there. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about um, millennial home buying experience. Not so good. I don't like to uh, criticize like groups. I don't like to, I don't even like to segment people into groups really, but we'll go over it. And then uh, finally, we're going to talk about an article that's about um, home buyer remorse in England. Yes, England. And um, the United States, I think we, I think we have a tendency to only look at the United States is when it comes to real estate. Well, there's some, there's some bubbles in the world. Okay. There's some real estate bubbles. There's no question. Canada, Australia, the UK, uh, those places for sure are in a, in a, in a crazy bubble. I don't know about anywhere else right now off the top of my head, but I feel like there is a chance we can learn some things if we look outside of the United States. Um, that's where I'm at on that. Go over some tweets. We'll go over a Google trends article about Duolingo. Are you familiar with the Duolingo app? I am um, interested in learning along with you what you think of it based on what I know in that space, in that space. So with that being said, um, let's get started with, you know, the things that matter, me. <laughs> I... Uh, I do want to check the audio just to make sure I'm good. I would ask you to uh, to put something in the chat and let me know, but there's no one here. Or there is. I don't know. I don't I don't keep the counter on because it drives me nuts. Uh, I get kind of nervous if there's like five people on. God knows how many. God only knows how I would do it if there were way more people, but it is what it is. So let's get into me. My situation as of right now, uh, woke up this morning and um, woke up this morning and about a week ago, I had this thing when I woke up and like my ears were clogged and it was making me dizzy. It was a sinus, like sinus congestion, really heavy sinus congestion. And as you know, I wasn't streaming. So I I went to the doctor and they gave me some amoxicillin and they gave me some, and they said, take some, take a bunch of Sudafed and you should be good to go. Well, uh, I had been doing that like I'm supposed to. I follow the doctor's orders and uh, things seemed to be fine. I started streaming again and I f felt like I was going to start working on the basement and doing those things. Um, but then, unfortunately, this morning I woke up and the thing came back. I don't know what it is. It's not good. Um, my wife and I were talking about it this afternoon. She said, uh, you know, as you get older, you get more affected by the weather. I was a little surprised by that in, in the sense that 
um, you know, like you, you ever broken any bones? Like I broke my hand, I think at least I know once, but, um, it, when it used to like, when it used to be ready to rain or something or the weather would change, I did seem to feel it in my hand, but never like this sinus thing. And uh, we even looked in the house for, uh, for the temperature, the humidity in the house to see if that was a problem. Cause we do have a humidifier and it is something we, we should pay attention to. So we looked at that and there was nothing. And so very, um, very odd situation. Around noon, I took some meds, ate, um, felt better, but not, not right. Uh, sat on the couch for a little while and uh, took a nap, and now I just have a, a terrible headache. So it didn't work out. It didn't work out. Now, why am I streaming tonight? Because I think there's a lot of stuff to stream about, and um, I just want to get back into the. I want to get back into the swing of things. It's like you keep losing days, you know, and it's just it's, it's not good. We can't really make these back up. So anyway, the big news here in St. Louis is the snowstorm that's coming. Um, I wanted to go over that for a minute. I just got, thought it was kind of funny. When, when I was younger, my dad had a, a corporate job, and when it would snow, he would go to work. <laughs> and then he would come home from work after the snow. You know, I mean, it would snow. The streets may or may not be cleared. It didn't matter. He went, and then when, you know, by the time he was you know, coming back from work. It, it didn't matter. There, there was no leaving work early because of the snow. Um, you were expected to be in the office, and that's the way it was. My mother was a, a school teacher, and so uh, normally they would get a call like at like 5 in the morning, and there was like a tree, a phone tree. And so she was if she, when she got the phone call, she was responsible for calling some of her other teacher people on the phone tree, and then that's how school would get canceled. And then as I was going to school as a youngster, what I would do is I would stare at the television, uh, the news, the only time I'd watch the local news, because it's absolutely a disaster. Even, it's even worse now, but it was, it was terrible then. Um, you'd watch on the bottom of the screen, and, it, and your school would come across the bottom. And, and what was amazing is, is like some of the schools that, like the, the topography of St. Louis is such that Jefferson County has more hills. Just, it's just a more hilly place. So they typically would call their schools a little earlier. Um, also schools that had like, um, didn't have a bus service. They would cancel their schools earlier. And so you'd look on the screen. And so I went to Afton High School or Afton School District. So it was with an A. And so it was alphabetical. So like it could be, you could get all the way to like the W's without our name being put on the screen. And then, like, the next time around, the A would be put on there. And there would be times when I'd watch this, and it would be like, come on, come on. And it never worked. Just for the record, there was never a time when I uh, was studying for a test and didn't want to take it the next day uh, where there was an assignment due that I didn't have done. I never got lucky in that sense. I never got lucky to where I wasn't going to get, uh, where, I, where I was going to get a benefit from the not having school. Today... Today is different. Um, it hasn't snowed here. There's been no snow. Uh, it's not supposed to be here till two in the morning. School has already been canceled for the kids. Okay. And it was not canceled on the television screen. It was canceled. We got a text and then we got a phone call, an automated phone call. So that now understand in 19, 1990, that wouldn't have happened here. It may have happened in, in, in bigger school districts across the country, but just, we just didn't have that. 
did not have that. And I don't know if it's for the best, but we've changed the approach that we have for work. We've, we've kind of changed the approach we have for our lives. It doesn't seem like people are beholden to their jobs anymore. Um, I don't think that's a good thing. I think there's a, I think there's a romance of being able to go to work and doing your job every day and coming home and knowing you did a good job at work. And if it rains, you go to work. If it snows, you go to work. If, if you're having children, you go to work. I mean, there's no, if there's a death in the family, you go to work. Um, it's, it's, it's impressive. Okay. It, it doesn't happen now. Now I'm not saying that there was, I don't, I'm not saying that was, I'm not saying things were better in that sense, but I know that when I was trying to choose a career, choose a path of living, working every day for the same hours and driving to, I can remember crying when I got out of college and I got, I had a job and it was, uh, it was, it was 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes away from my house, uh, down 270 and 40, which are two massive highways here in St. Louis. And uh, I can remember sitting in the car driving to work and just say like this, this is miserable. Like this is the worst. This is not human. I can't, I don't want to be, and you'd just be bumper to bumper the whole way. And then when you got off work, you could do the same thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Do I have respect for the people that do? Absolutely. But I just, it just wasn't for me. It wasn't going to happen. I'm just not, I'm not built that way. And I'll tell you, I, I question even now, I'm, I'm 45 years old. I question right now, you know, who am I? What do I, what, you know, what, what is, what am I about? Like, am I, we're talking, yesterday I was, there was some stuff about creatives, you know, am I a creative? I mean, at one time I was a musician, but now I'm, I'm fully invested in real estate and my, my business and some other ventures and this show is the show creative. Is it an output for me? I, I kind of feel like it is. It's not, I mean, it's not highly produced. That's for sure. But I mean, how much production can I do given the job I have? But anyway, so we've got the situation where it's supposed to snow heavily overnight. Uh, the wife has already been, they've already closed the office for tomorrow. Um, my thing today was uh, we went we went grocery shopping, did some some shopping, and I just wanted to make sure we had enough food to get through tomorrow because I don't particularly want to drive in the snow. As you know, my car is also having trouble with the transmission, so that doesn't seem like a good idea. Uh, that hasn't gotten any better, by the way. If you're if you're curious, um, and I don't know if I told you this, but the shop that I'm taking it to is thirty days out. Two twenty is the day I take it, February twentieth. Anyway, as we as we do the St. Louis thing, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the rest of the world, but what you do is when it's going to snow, you go to the store and you immediately go buy bread and milk. Stores throughout, you know, oh, excuse me. Stores throughout St. Louis today will be without bread and milk. They will, they will lose, they will sell out. 
And it's always been kind of one of those things like, why do you need bread and milk in tomorrow? Like, is that has never made any sense. But I mean, I'm pretty much on lockdown at this point. I'm not leaving my house. Um, if it doesn't snow, if there's no snow on the ground, tomorrow's fine. I'll, I'll go about my day. If there's even a hint of like snow on this, the, the streets, I won't drive. I won't drive. I even have an all wheel drive car. Um, it's just not, it's just not where I'm at now. I've wrecked in the snow before driving to college. I drove to a college class and got hit by an ice storm and ran into somebody. And ever since then, I've kind of just been like, nah, not real interested. I've, now, it's interesting how it kind of ties in with real estate. So tomorrow, if someone were to call me to show a house, I'd be like, no, no. Not until later in the afternoon, at least until they get a chance to plow the streets. Then I'd probably go. Um, earlier in my career, I did go and show a house during an ice storm, but I don't think that we knew it was going to be an ice storm at the time. And they were my friends, and it was it was no big deal. It was close to my house. It was actually like one street down, so I didn't mind. But, you know, the way I normally list houses, uh, you know, Monday or Tuesday, they're coming soon. Wednesday or Thursday, they go active, big weekend, and then we we have an offer. Usually, even good times, bad times. That's normally how it works. Um, I have a condo that I'm listing um, probably Thursday. And so I would like to get over to it tomorrow just to make sure it's still there. But like I said, if it's going to be too heavy of the snow, I'm not leaving. I don't know that people are bad drivers in the snow. I don't know about anybody else. I know that I just don't want to be around anybody. Uh, it's just not worth it to me. So that's issue number one. Issue number two. We have a couch. We have a couch, and we bought it mm, six years ago, and it cost us $450 on clearance. It's a leather couch. It's it's an ugly color, but... And we have the German Shepherd, Zeus, and so he sleeps on the couch sometimes. He's on the couch a lot. But it's our main couch. It has started to like come apart. Okay. But it's a very comfortable couch. I, I don't mind it. And so I was talking, or my wife was, was telling me that it's time to get a new couch. And I said, I will not get a new couch. I will get this one reupholstered. Because for a couple of reasons, and I'm 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 gonna put them out there for you, and you might be surprised, but I I do believe I I I am quite an environmentalist, okay? But you'll never know it. You'll, you'll, you'll never know it just from the way I talk, the way I, I, I see things. But I am, I'm, a, I am probably, I'm probably, I mean, do I get a gold star for my efforts? Probably. But one of the things that I'm, I'm big on is, like, if you can, you know, reuse something or, you know, not throw it away. I mean, why, why fill up a landfill with a couch when, you know, when it could be reupholstered and used again? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why right now. Paid $450 for the couch. And I'm going to, I'm going to do it like this. I've got my phone calculator down here and I'm just going to go over what I was quoted today. Uh, I went to the upholstery store, the, the one closest 
to my house um, for the sofa, okay? The labor for the sofa is $3,900, okay? Uh, new foam seats are $195 each, so let's just call that um, $600. Um, then the uh, foam backing is $150 times three. Let me get that real quick. $450 for that. And then it needs um, 22 yards of fabric. And the 22 yards of fabric, they quoted me as $54 a yard. Okay. So $54 a yard times 22. That's $1,188. To get that, 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 to get that couch upholstered, reupholstered, $6,138. I paid $450 for it. Like, what am I going to do? I, I mean, you may think, oh, you're a real estate broker. You make all this money. You can afford it. No, I can't. I am going to be forced to throw away a couch that I like and I don't want to get rid of because someone wants to charge me, what did I say, $6,000? How do you, how do you, how do you tell somebody? Well, she said it with a straight face, so I guess, I guess that's how. But I was, my wife and I just, we're just, we laughed. Well, disappointed though, because we're gonna have to get rid of the couch. You can put covers on it, you know, like slip covers, I guess they're called or something, but it's just not the same thing. It's just not, it's gotta go. But it's so frustrating. I, I mean, I like the couch and everything, but it, it's like the leather, it's probably not real leather, but it's like, it's like coming off. And like when you're sitting there, all of a sudden you're covered in faux leather or what was supposed to be real leather, but I don't know. My Subaru car seats are supposed to be real leather and they're and they're not cracking. They're 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 peeling in. There's stuff on the online that says that they're actually not. They're like a vinyl product and they're only leather on the sides. So So that's so that's it. I'm not getting a new couch. It's supposed to snow all night. Let's take a look at the interest. The let's 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 kind of move the show forward and let's talk about interest rates. Our mortgage rates. Current mortgage rate today. We're at DearRealtySTL.com, where you can search for homes in St. Louis, Missouri, St. Charles, Missouri, Jefferson County, St. Louis City. You can look. I don't have any pop-ups or anything set up, so just enjoy yourself. Get at it. Um, 30-year fixed is up to 6.21%, up one basis point from 6.20% yesterday. Um, not not much higher. than I mean, one basis point isn't anything to get upset about. I would like to have 
like some stability, like kind of be range bound, it would be nice. Um, there have been some huge shocks to the uh, market, and I think it's kind of weird. It historically it has been the spreads, the spread, the space between the borrowing rate and the mortgage rate on a thirty-year fix are were very very wide during the uh, pandemic, and that was unusual and. You know, now they're starting to contract a little bit, which is good. I got, I'd like to be at 5.5%, but I tell you that every night. Let's move on. Well, let me let me frame this story, okay? We're going to talk about, this is some, from, from Google Trends, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but I'll put it this way just so I don't screw it up. Um, and then I can do it. Watch this. Let's do some advanced YouTubing. Okay, good. So just for all of you that may not know, I, I, my, my wife speaks a different language. Uh, she speaks what they would call Serbo-Croatian. She's from Bosnia. And I've always tried, I've always wanted to learn the language as long as I've, I've been together 10 years. Um, within the first like two years, I was trying to learn the language. And um, the first thing I bought was this uh, like CDs. And it would teach you how to just speak. Um, it's called the Pimsler method. And I think that CDs at the time were like 600 or I think they were like 250 bucks, 260 bucks when I was buying that. And um, it helped. But what happened was is kind of uh, how do I put this? Like the fall of Yugoslavia caused some of the languages, like some 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 of the some of the words aren't the same. Some of the the yeah, basically some of the words aren't the same. So Croatia's got its own words, Slovenia's got its own words, and I suspect Serbia has their own words. And even within Bosnia, depending on where you're from you speak differently. It's not so much as a dialect, it's the words you use. But for me, I just want to, so I want to learn Croatian because I don't want to get into why, but you'll, you, you'd know it if you, if you were in this space. The reason stated, and that will be the case, is that the only way I can learn language, the only, the only software I can use is something from a company called Monly and they, they teach Croatian. So I, I'm basically learning Croatian. Now I have not learned Croatian. And in fact, I thought I was doing very, very well in Croatian. And then when I went to Bosnia to my wife's parents home, um, by the time I got there, actually, by the time I landed in Zagreb, I, uh, maybe 15, I didn't land in Zagreb. By the time I landed in Slovenia, Within about 10 minutes, I was like, oh, my God, I don't know any of this language, and I'm scared. And I pretty much stopped talking at that point or stopped even thinking I knew the language, and I just kept my mouth shut unless somebody said something to me, and then I would say that I'm doing well in that language. And uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Uh but, but I, again, I thought I had done better. And Monly is a, is a, a language uh, program where you, um, where you 
like it's it's like games like you play these games and then you get better and then you 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 challenge your you know you've got points and so the more points you get the better off you know you are and in the rankings and then you can be the best person ever and then i i was that person for a while in the game but i just got kind of tired of it and um oddly enough duolingo does not have a croatian program as of right now 2023 um but everyone says like that's a good way to learn it now I, I want to, that's where this article begins. So let me bring it up to you. It says Duolingo turned me into a monster. Now this was on Google Trends as far as Duolingo. Now I don't know why. Um, there's one article about, like, so I don't know why people are searching so much. There's one article written about uh, this particular case. This uh, There's another one that says, is Duolingo safe? And then there's a third one that says that there was a breach or security hack yesterday. But I don't know. I don't know, but but this was relevant to me, and I thought we could go through it together because I want to, and by the way, just I can tell you right now, given what time it is and given the way I want to do things, we're not going to make, we're not going to have a, whole, a full program as far as our articles. We're not going to make it to the end. I, already, I can tell you that right now, and I apologize, but let's get to it. So it says, Duolingo transformed me into a mo- monster. This commentary that green owl is haunt, haunting me. Now, I think that's interesting because with the Monley thing, every morning I'd wake up and I'd want to have more points than anyone else. And I'd look for ways to cheat and get more points. Now, understand, I grew up with in the age of like video games, like the original video games, where you would try to score points. So the more points you would have, the better off you would be. Um, it's not that way now. You know, it's more like kind of um, experience-based, like... You know, you, you win the game by, you know, you don't really have a score. Okay, this is a story about a lot of things. It's about Duolingo. That's obvious. That's in the headline. But it's actually a story about how doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Now, see, that that caught my eye. It says, but it's also a story about how quickly gamification can transform one thing into another thing. And it's most certainly a story about how I'm a complete idiot, that I have no idea what I'm talking about or doing, and that no one should listen to my advice about anything ever. Now, look. This is how I feel. I can tell you this right now. I have had the Mondly app for more than four years. It's probably six. And I am no better today than I was when I started. Now, I know a lot of words, but I'm not able to put those into a sentence, and I'm not able to do anything with it. It's, it's very bad. It says, but let's start with the Duolingo part. At the end of October, I decided to start studying Spanish on Duolingo. That was a good decision because learning a new language is fun and rewarding, but it's also a terrible decision because I literally just come back from visiting family in Chile, a Spanish-speaking country, squandering one of the four or five times in my entire life where the ability to speak Spanish would have actually been useful. And I'm in the same boat. Like, I mean, I wanted to speak the language so bad, and I wanted to, I mean, I just wanted, as a sign of respect to my, to my wife's parents and her family, I wanted them to know that we were like buds and that I cared. And then to go over there and just do a terrible job, my language skills just suck. I mean, and they all, like, a lot of them knew English, which really made me upset because, I mean, it's it's not the primary language there. Uh, and so I just felt like, and all my, I mean, we have all kinds of friends that are Bosnian, and I, I would just like to speak with them. It's just so it would be easier for everything. But it didn't. It didn't work out. It says... But the truth was I wanted to learn Spanish because while living family, while visiting family who had, ten, who had spent 
10 months working in Chile, I'd become inspired and jealous of how quickly they'd acclimated. acclimated. In that time, my sister-in-law went from knowing close to zero Spanish to handling every situation using a language she'd been learning on the fly. She got her start using Duolingo, so I thought, hmm, maybe I could do that. Now, look, I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I have not come across many people that have learned English over to Croatian here in St. Louis. Like, I don't know many. doesn't mean there aren't any, and I'm sure they're great and everything. I'm just saying I have not met many people. My, my wife knows one person that went from uh, English to Bosnian pretty well, but that's the only one. But we don't get out much, I guess. We'll say that. But it's, it's, this, it's a very hard language to learn because even the, my wife doesn't speak it all the time, only to family, only to friends. So, like, when we speak, it's always in English unless I just, I'm trying to learn. When we go out, people normally just speak to me in English because my Bosnian's so bad. They're like, why even bother? So, anyway. It's hard. You're, if Like when I was over there, like I thought that because I was, everyone around me was going to speak it, I would learn it faster. I didn't learn it faster. Although I will remember Schlieve forever because uh, Anissa's dad was telling me about it. And I was like, I mean, the, the man, he said it so many times. If I didn't learn it, I would have been an idiot. So it was a decision tied to a productivity kick. Thanks to jet lag from the aforementioned overseas trip, I've been waking up super early around 5 or 6 a.m. It was good. I was getting lots of stuff done, not necessarily work stuff done, but exercise stuff, life stuff. So I made a little deal with myself for the first 30 minutes or so. As soon as I'd woke up, I'd dive into Duolingo. And I have actually been there on Mondly myself. I actually used to get up at 6 a.m. And the first thing I would do is spend one hour teaching myself or working through the lessons on Mondly. I mean, I've been where this guy is. Um, as far as... Um, as far as jet lag, not so much. I had two days where things were a little bit dicey. The second day when I was there and the second day back. But other than that, I'm a pretty heavy sleeper. I actually had a worse sleep last night than any of the times that I had uh, had jet lag. So Duolingo, an app designed to help people learn any of the 40 languages, is extremely popular. It was named Apple's best app of 2013. It has well over 50 million users. Duolingo, along with its patented green owl mascot, has penetrated popular culture to its core. Saturday Night Live even did a sketch on it back in 2019. I, I don't, I don't mean to be mean, but Saturday Night Live has not been relevant since maybe 2000. Multiple studies speak to its effectiveness as a learning school. One found Duolingo was equally as effective as learning in a classroom, but not all studies agreed. Stephen Sacco, a retired language professor, spent 300 hours learning Swedish on Duolingo but still managed to fail the final exam of an introductory university course. And I'll be honest with you, I feel like that's that's where I'm at. I feel like I could spend the rest of my life learning on Mondly and never get to where I need to get. But there is there is other link, there's other ways to learn. Like Croatia, the government has, a university has a language program set up for you for free. The problem is, is I can't navigate it because it's always in Croatian. So like there's this one spot where you're supposed to put in uh, some of the letters have accents and, and different signals on the top. Uh, and one of those I can't, I can't, I don't have on my keyboard that I don't, I don't know where it is. And I don't know the spelling's wrong. And so I just get locked up in this one spot and can't move forward on the lesson. So, I mean, and you can't ask for help. And so you're just stuck there. So 
Anyway, none of this dissuaded me. In the beginning, I went hard. I'd spend roughly an hour every morning blasting through the early lessons. It was incredibly addictive. I had baseline knowledge of Spanish, so I was breezing through as close to 100% accuracy, a gigantic ego boost that came with fuzzy feelings of achievement. Look, when I was doing it for Monoly, I would not allow myself to go to a different lesson unless I had gotten 100% and made no mistakes on the previous lesson. Those fuzzy feelings were reinforced by all the video game stuff. Duolingo constantly fed me. Experience points and gems, regardless of what they did or what they meant, I gobbled them up like a deranged turkey. Duolingo was a machine designed to make me feel superficially productive. Yes, master, verily. Feed me that serotonin. Let me suck at the teat of this bizarre green owl. I shall become engorged with its hollow forbidden pleasures. I will bleed it dry. I mean, I, all I can say is I sat down and I would try and get the top score and I would try to get it by so much that no one could catch me in my Mondly. That's how I did it. It says Diamond Dogs. Maybe the most bizarre thing about my Duolingo obsession while I was in racking up the gems at 6 a.m. in the morning, I had a human wife sleeping in my bedroom who not only used to teach languages her full-time job but speaks Spanish fluently. Instead of asking this full-grown real-life woman who lives in my house to help me learn Spanish, I sat hunched over my phone with the posture of an anxious chimp and acquired gems and experience points or XP at a, a frightening rate. I myself have a Bosnian wife who, who speaks Bosnian perfectly, and she learned English, okay? So you'd think I would just say, hey, you learned English. Can I just learn English? Can I just learn Bosnian the way you learned English? She said she watched a lot of cartoons. We have the ability to watch cartoons here at the house in Bosnian. We don't. We don't do it. Because, again, I've got Mondly, and that's going to teach me. It's like I believe this. Isn't that crazy? Was it helping me learn Spanish? It's hard to tell. Eventually, learning Spanish ceased to be the point. I remember one of my friends who I was speaking, seeing for the first time since returning from Chile tried to speak Spanish to me. She, too, had been learning Spanish. I completely froze. This woman was not speaking the language of Duolingo. She was speaking the language of the real world with actual worlds, and I was woefully unequipped to respond. Yes. Yes, that's exactly true. That's exactly where I am. That's exactly where I am. Like, I I just don't know. I just don't. And there's just stuff I can't do. But it barely mattered. I was barely ashamed of my incompetence by the time I'd become a gaunt, hollowed-out XP addict, solely sustained by endlessly accumulating pinball scores in Duolingo. Spanish was out. Winning was all that mattered, and I understand this too. Like it, it stops being part. It's why worry about the language when you can just get points. Okay, I was especially entranced by Duolingo's league system. Duolingo allows its users to compete with one another in a series of leagues similar to the ones you might find in video games like Overwatch or DOTA. You start out in bronze, but if you gather enough XP, you can gain promotion to higher and more competitive leagues. There are ten in total, of which they sound like they're named after Pokemon games. Sapphire, Ruby, Emerald, Pearl, and so on and so forth. The Big Papa Top League is the Diamond League. That's where the league boys play. In, but even getting that point is challenging. These leagues are tough, and some participants clearly have bugger all else to do but toil in the duel on the XP mines. I discovered a little bizarre techniques just so I could compete. I'd rattle through lessons quickly in a 15-minute double XP boost, then maximize that time by rattling through the easy story lessons for 80 times a pop. And I would do the same things. They would have these weekly and monthly um things on Mondly. So if you would just go back and do the weekly, 
you would get so many points. And then if you would do a monthly, you would get even more. So the goal would be to do the monthly ones because you would get the most. So you, if you did like three monthly ones, you could really put it to the rest of the players. Again, this is, a, I mean, like at some point you're not learning, you're not learning Bosnian. He's not learning Spanish. It says, if that sounds like gobbledygook to you, congrats on being an actualized human being. I, by contrast, was getting my kicks from obliterating innocent men, women, and children on Duolingo leaderboards. I became the most toxic scumbag alive. If Duolingo sent me a message saying I'd been knocked off my top spot, I'd return like an idiot scorned and go nuclear on anyone who dared challenge my Duolingo supremacy. I wouldn't leave until the entire Sapphire League had been reduced to ash. And and I there there's people on on Monly the same way. I don't. I one time I was like way up there, and then I it was just it was just too much time. I don't have that kind of time. So it says lifting the curse. But then one day I just quit. I had a good reason. It was around Christmas. My Scottish family, who I hadn't seen over four years thanks to COVID, flew to Sydney, Australia, to visit me for the holidays. We had so much planned to the point where I had barely had time to check my phone. That's when Duolingo got a little bit weird. Duolingo, uh, like a spurned lover, Duolingo began messaging me incessantly via a series of increasingly aggressive notifications begging for my turn. I watched in horror as a mobile phone app went through the stages of grief in its attempt to get me back. Like a needy partner who calls you 10 minutes after a text, Duolingo began sending me emails when I didn't respond to the notifications. It was brutal onslaught that only served to highlight how twisted my Duolingo obsession once was. Now, Monly does not send me emails ever. I've never had that issue. After essentially ghosting Duolingo for about three weeks, I got a hilariously dark note. These reminders don't seem to be working. We'll stop sending them for now. And of course, the next day, Duolingo sent me another notification in an email. I never returned. The curse has been lifted. The seduction techniques Duolingo once wielded to great effect. The XP, the gems, the leaks no longer have a hold on me. My streak is dead. I'm free. For, by the way, I just on emails, you know, blindster.com. We got blinds from them and they're fine. They're great. Okay. I don't know how many people, how many people buy blinds more than once in a decade. But blinder, blindster sends me an email every day, every day. And it's like 35% off every time. And then the first email is like, look, we're bringing 30% back or 35% off uh, coming soon. And then it's, we've got 35% off. And then the next day it's like, you missed 35% off, but we'll still give it to you because you're special. And this happens every day of the week. I'm never going to, I just, I just can't imagine ever needing to buy blinds that much. All that's left, the decaying, uh, for now my days of being gaslit by a freaky green digital owl are blissfully over. All that's left, the decaying tendrils of the methods used to ensnare me, my inner monologue trying to make sense of it all. As someone numbed the effects of gamification, I'm surprised it works so effectively. If this was Call of Duty or FIFA, the inner spiral of numbers pinging upward would have little effect on me, but on Duolingo, an app designed to teach me something tangentially related to self-improvement, the lure was impossible to resist. I get that. I, I still I still like video games with game of like with points. I I like that. Lesson learned, or in this case, lesson sort of learned. Did I get my Spanish get better? Lesson no. I learned a few words and polished up aspects of my clumsy grammar, but I suspect that if my wife were to walk out of her home office right now, this very second, 
and speak to me in Spanish, I'd freak out. I'd disintegrate into a pile of clothing and smoke like the Wicked Witch of the West, but then resuscitate like a cursed hunched gullum. I'd probably fire up Duolingo completely on autopilot and find myself sucked into the abyss all over again. I get it. I get it. I don't, like, in a larger sense, people, children today grow up and they're like, how did you live without computers? Well, it wasn't hard. There weren't any. So you didn't worry about it. You're like, you know, how did you live without a cell phone? We live just fine. Okay. It, like, and then it, how did you learn language before language learning apps? Well, I, I think Benjamin Franklin knew like three languages or more. Um, I, I just think that it's, it's, it's somehow I'm just not good at it. I'm depressed about it. I will learn it. I mean, I will make it a point to learn it, but maybe this year is, is my my space to to realize that what I'm trying isn't working and that I should try harder a different way. By the way, originally I have two sprint I do I have two language books somewhere somewhere in my vast mess, two, two college level textbooks of learning the language. And they were so, they were so dense, like just thick that I was like, no, no, I'm going to use an app. It's going to be easier and more fun. And, you know, maybe I have to pull those out. Getting to the tweets tonight. What's our first tweet it says compelling data. Now this is wrong based on this. So let me open this. Okay. Nationwide, the small detached house has all but vanished from new construction. Only about 8% of new single-family homes today are 1,400 square feet or less. In the 1940s, according to CoreLogic, nearly 70% of new houses were that small. This is compelling data in the 1940s. Over 70% of Americans had lots square feet or smaller today. It's 7%. No, it's a bit of a mistake here. The house was 1,400 square feet or smaller. I bet tons of people would love a small lot and home. Tiny lots exist today in old plats. Years ago at ATX, I'm going with the, I'm going with the Texas Council, ruled disaggregating back to city size. Tiny size is illegal. Would you live on 1,400 square feet? I would not live on 1,400 square feet lot. I would live in a 1,400 square foot home. My home right now is 1,484 square feet, and it's fine. With a basement, it's fine. I would like to have... Um, a two-car garage, that would have been great. It just didn't happen that way. But we can't always get what we want, right? Moving on. I thought this was interesting. It says, this is from CH. It says, if the good Lord himself came down from on high with trumpets and rays through the clouds and handed off a tablet divinely etched explaining why housing is effed, the real estate world would yawn, says he's always bearish, and suggests the answer to whatever the question is is to build more. And I'll tell you, that's the way I feel. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, okay? I don't. And and I don't want to be a perma bearer. But my gosh, the house prices are unsustainable. Like, like this is not, this cannot continue. And yet, here we are. There has to be some measure of uh, wages, like, versus home prices. Like, your median wage has to, at some point, line up with median wage. 
They have to come together. And they don't. It's weird. Markets in mayhem have two. This is changes in U.S. home prices over the last 31 and a half years. Let's just open that. That's from January 1991. Just to give you my age, I'm older than that. I was born in 1977. I graduated high school in 1995. Graduated college in 2000. The first time. Um, I can't show you the top one. I think it's Austin. I can't show you the top couple because I've got a little uh, thing over my screen. But if you look at this, like Austin, 634%, 576%. We're at St. Louis. They're only up 172%. Detroit's only up 135%. But I always think that, honestly, Detroit's a misnomer. You've got the city of Detroit, okay, or Wayne County. Not as criticism. I lived in there. Um, But then you've got Oakland County, and then you've got the county to the west. I don't remember it off the top of my head. I want to say it's like Clinton Township or something, Clinton County. Anyway, Jackson County, you go, you basically go almost all the way to Ann Arbor and you're still in the suburb of Detroit. I mean, it's that far away. I mean, just houses everywhere. And to the north, it's even more impressive. So um, I don't believe that that's correct. But because I I know those houses out there have gone way higher. Uh, But this is, I thought, interesting. I thought something that would be, um, you know, I mean, if you were to put your money in a house, in theory, versus a stock, you'd have done a hell of a lot better with your house. Not saying you should use your house in investment in any way. I'm just saying that's that's what this is. Markets in mayhem again. I, we had this graph yesterday. That's why I wanted to I wanted to go over it just because I, I saw it on a different a different uh, a different space. Uh, this is from Ari Reventure. Housing affordability is worse than it was before the great financial crisis. That does not mean we're headed for a crash. It does mean a lot of people can't afford a home until prices go meaningfully lower from here. That's right. That's right. Home affordability. Now, that's different than affordable housing. This is the wordplay, the wordplay that we use. Affordable housing is not what you think it is. You think affordable housing is housing built for people that can afford it. That ain't what it's for. Affordable housing is where you pay a developer a bunch of money to develop houses for clients or customers that are the poorest of the poor that um, that will get a place to live, and in return, the developer will make a, a fortune because he's dealing with people that are not, not business savvy, more government savvy. And uh, at the end of the day, you could have built thousands of more homes somewhere, you know, without being affordable and still been more affordable than the homes that are built for the affordable housing. It's absolutely a mess. It's, it's just mind boggling. Let's go on. Nick Timaro, Tim, Timmy, Tim Rose. He is, he's at the wall street journal. He's an economist. He's written some things. He's, I say he's credible. It says economists at Goldman Sachs forecast that the U.S. is past the peak, the worst of the drag from the housing downturn, but still sees negative wealth effects that will lead housing on net to subtract from U.S. economic output for the next two years. So what they're saying is the how everything that caused housing, or no, everything that housing did for the economy is a portion of the economy, okay? Um, everything... That was a huge economic benefit 
for other industries, okay? And what it's saying now is that that's not going to be as severe. That's not going to be as high. So one of the things, like, let's, I mean, I, I would say that maybe lumber at one point in time was um, the prices of lumber were going up because of housing demand. Um, in some ways, I'm not saying 100% of the way, there's talk of lumber mills and weird stuff like that. But anyway, then he goes on to say, Goldman Sachs economists project a 2.6 Q4, Q4 decline that's year over year. Quarter over quarter, if you want to say it that way, that's fine. In home prices this year, or a 6% peak to trough decline nationally. And I and I, I think that's important. You want to go with, you want to stay with the national one because it says our bottom-up metro level model suggests some downside risk to this number. West Coast and Southwest markets could see peak to trough declines of 15 to 20 percent. But look, they're not, they're not. I mean, St. Louis is up. Oh, man. I, I don't know. Like, I think the housing market in St. Louis is still pretty strong, to be honest with you. If I listed something at the right price, I could probably get at least one offer and not maybe two or three. Jeff Feldman, I thought this was interesting. It's a little bit, it's a little bit outside of what I do normally. It says the entire, and I didn't like it, so I'm sorry. Here you go. The entire real estate industry rests upon their own trait, the sense of urgency by someone involved in each transaction. There's always someone moving the transaction forward. Nothing in our industry just happens, mostly because people are busy. There requires an energy pushing every single aspect of a deal forward, and it comes from at least one person. Strive to be that person. Well, I will tell you that I believe that is true. And I'll put it to you like this. Um, I had a deal lately, recently collapse, okay? And it was it was very, very irritating. I was representing the seller, and the buyer's loan didn't go through. And so I said, well, I know a guy. Well, so it didn't go through. And so I, I said, I know a guy that that offers, you know, the reason why you were getting financing from this place, he does the same thing. Go through him and you can get the deal done and we can be done with this. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen. But it was me putting my foot out there and saying, look, I mean, you have to, you know, let's get the, let's get this deal done. I mean, the pieces are all in place. Let's get it done. And then, and then similarly, I know this house is coming up for sale or this condo that I have ready to list is coming up uh, this weekend, uh, at least Thursday. So I've already been contacting people that showed interest in condos similar. I say, look, this one's coming up. It seems like it would fit what you've been looking for. Give me a call. Let me know if you want to come see it. These are things that you should do. These pushing the sales process forward. Your agent should be wanting to try to sell the house if you're if they're the listing agent. And if you're a buyer's agent, it's a tough it's a tough time. It's always a tough time. You need to read what your uh, clients are are wanting. I have some some folks that are you know I mean I can tell when they're going to buy a house because they're always looking like we're out, out actively shopping. And then I have many buyers that that aren't that aren't there right now. And when they do get there, you'll know because they'll start looking all the time. I just I do think that there is. It's not pushing people, okay? It's being it's being in a, it's it's being in the space in a timely manner. Lance Lambert, Lance Lambert follows Deerwood Realty on Twitter. 
made my made my whole made my and here as proof follows you. This is interesting. It says CoStar is interested in requ- in acquiring News Corp State and Realtor.com. Did you know that new, the realtors don't know Realtor.com, the National Association of Realtors? Yeah, crazy, eh? Uh, that's according to the New York Times. The CoStar Group, a provider of data. Now, CoStar is a very big national, it's a national commercial real estate listing portal, basically, uh, to the commercial real estate. Recently informed News Corp that it was interesting in acquiring companies taking the digital real estate business move at a valuation of more than $3 billion. The people said after the talks with CoStar got serious, News Corp and Fox decided to put the merger talks on pause to wait the outcome of negotiations with CoStar. A spokesman for CoStar said the company continually evaluated opportunities for mergers and acquisitions, declined to comment on potential discussions with News Corp. Now, look, I'll be honest with you. I am, even though Realtor.com is not owned by Realtors, at least not 100%, I don't even know if we have a controlling share. Even though that's the case, I think I think Zillow, people think Zillow in that space more than they do Realtor.com. I think Realtor.com second. And I think everything else is just behind. Um, when you're looking at a house, you're looking at Zillow. Um, Zillow is like fake looking at houses. Um, Zillow is fake selling houses in the sense that what you see, uh, there's a whole lot more to it contextually that you'll never see on Zillow. And Zillow is in, in, in many ways rewarded for not showing all those things um, because they're producing a, a vision uh an aspirational purchase versus a real purchase. Uh, Realtor.com is fine for the user, you know, the user experience, but it's just not Zillow. Um, they both offer leads to agents that want to pay, and uh, that's great. I, I'm not one of those people that's interested in that. So anyway, that's that. Uh, I'm concerned more that Zillow owns showing time, which is what we used to schedule showings as agents. And if you control our ability to access properties, you kind of control us. But no one said a word when Zillow wanted to be buying showing time. And I can remember to this day, and I'll never forget it, when Zillow uh, started doing the iBuyer program and became brokers themselves, um, our, own, our own board said you cannot criticize. Uh, it would be their brokers as well, and you could not criticize them. And it's like... I mean, they, they said they were never going to be brokers. What happened? I can say that. Darth Powell, in order to keep the Ponzi scheme going, the government will manipulate how they report infl- inflation. Inflation measurements have always changed many times throughout the decades, always to diminish how much inflation is reported. It's a scam. And I'll tell you what, I, I know this to be true. I, I've lived it. And let me tell you something. I went to Five Guys today for lunch. The top hamburger at Five Guys, the cheeseburger, the one with the two patties is coming in $11.71. Fries are like $7. I'm, I'm sorry, the low fries, the small fries are like $7. The regular fries are like 9 It's a nice burger, nice fries. These, I mean, this this has risen like when they came to St. Louis, they were in the, like the, they were, the most expensive burger was like in the 7s. And now we're in 11 that's inflation. And people have stopped talking about inflation. Uh, the, it'll go away. In fact, if you look at like the political uh, 
football, people are talking about how, how much money can we give Ukraine? Um, why can't politicians store documents correctly? Um, they talk about George Santos is a complete liar and he should be removed from office, but like all those people up there are completely terrible people. Like they, they're all liars of some degree. It's odd you chose him. That's um, not odd. I know exactly why you chose him. Um, everything, you know, everything's kind of messed up right now. And so many things are that we aren't going to talk about inflation. We're not going to talk about American saving rates being the lowest that they've been since before the Great Recession. We're not going to talk about credit card debt spiraling or skyrocketing out of control. We're going to pretend that stuff's not happening and then be surprised when it blows everything up. I guess. The used car market, the auto financing is starting to get a little dicey. Maybe somebody will pay attention there and say, hmm, this isn't good. Whatever. Last one, Jeff Winnegar. I'm going with that. The mortgage payments of $2,262 in January up from, what, 1300 in 2020? This is clearly unsustainable. Either yields come down considerably or house prices come down. Regular middle-class people don't have $2,262 to toss around like this. Unsustainable, unbuyable. Absolutely. Just this week, I've been hit with what will be a huge car bill payment. The kid needs braces, um, groceries, and everything expensive. I need a new couch. And I've still got this basement to fix, which is a complete disaster right now. I mean, I, I'm, I am tapped out cash-wise. No question. Oh, i got to get a new car. I, got, I mean, I. it's just a disaster. So, anyway. I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, but, I'm, I mean, nobody's on with me right now, and I feel like I've had a pretty good show. I'm going to cut it. I'll put the rest of the stuff on tomorrow night um, or tomorrow during the day, whatever I get around to. I'll let you know if it snowed. Um, that's all I have for you tonight. Thank you for watching. I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye.